Welcome to part four of Raising an Entrepreneur, an eight-part series on what we can do to help our young people become happy, creative, passionate problem solvers. Entrepreneurs are unique. They embrace the chance to overcome obstacles, solve problems, make the world a better place, and dictate their lives on their own terms while they take on risk. These are their stories. My name is Aaron Stewart, and I have been researching and living entrepreneurship for the past 30 years. And I now welcome you to The Little Black Couch, a journey in entrepreneurship. Hi, everyone. Aaron Stewart back with you for part four of our ongoing series on raising an entrepreneur. And I got to say this, I couldn't remember what this show is going to be about um, in, in part three, but I'm, I'm looking at my notes and I must tell you, I am worried that we can get this all in one show without completely going, you know, for a long time. So this eight part series may very well become a nine part series, depending on how we can get through this today. So anyway, really cool stuff. And part that, um, at least for right now in my life, this is, this is part of the process in raising an entrepreneur that I seem to be most involved in right now in the current state of where I am as a parent and where my children are. Um, and it's, so it's, it's one that's super, super fascinating, super fun, super rewarding, um, and definitely worth talking about. So passionate about, excited about, let's jump right into it. And it's, I guess the, the easiest way to sort of frame this up is if we wanted to use the modern term for it, we could call it um, mindset. We could call it uh, reframing, which is the term we used to use for this same sort of an idea. We could call it uh, passion practice if you wanted. We could call it self-actualization if you wanted to. So there's a lot of different terms out there. And I, I, I will say in this um, realm of entrepreneurship, there's a lot of self-help books and coaching and all this kind of stuff that goes on out there. And it's interesting to see that so many of us want to take a, a particular concept and we want to rename it with our own vocabulary, with our own terminology. And I will say it, it for a while there, I used to think that it was quite interesting why somebody would want to do that. Um, but there is definitely a psychological benefit to, to reframe something, to reterm something and create your own word for it, to, to be creative and make it work for the way you process information. And, I, and on top of that, I'd note, it seems to me that the um, authors that do a very good job that think so much about concepts and terms and things that they do come up with their own terminology tend to sell more books. So just sort of FYI out there for any of you who want to be authors down the road, um, it's totally cool to come up with new terms for uh, concepts that have been talked about ad nauseum previously by others because it may help us sort of I, I guess understand a different aspect or a different depth for any particular concept if it's named something differently. It, it all works out differently for different folks and so I can definitely appreciate what people are trying to do there and that's actually part of what we're gonna learn about today. So some of the coolest things that we can do as adults um, for our young people is make sure that they, were, oh, that they are becoming comfortable with connecting to what we like to call their future selves or this idea of a vision. And um, we have this, this um, researcher at UCLA who did some really cool work 
Um, and it was in the UCLA School of Management. And what he did is he, his name was uh, Hal Hirschfield. And what he did is he did some research where he took subjects and he put them into MRI scans and he would ask them to picture their future selves. And it was interesting because it showed in these um, MRI and in these MRI scans that these individuals weren't picturing themselves, they were picturing a stranger in the future. And so this, there was this lack of connection then between this particular individual and trying to understand and picture what the, it would be like to be in the future. It always was something else. So this connection to our future selves becomes something that if we go back to our earlier lessons in the talent code and what we've learned about neuropathways, this is something that we need to practice um, because it's very hard for us to connect to that future self. So how do we do this? How do we help our young people practice this connection to their future selves? Well, we ask them questions. So if they happen to come to us and say, hey, this seems interesting to me, um, say, for example, I came to my mother once and said, hey, mom, I think I want to be an orthopedic surgeon. I had hung out with somebody who was one and uh, they had taught a, a Sunday school class or something. I thought this guy was really cool. I would like to do what he's doing. He shared some of his experiences and it sounded really cool. So I said, mom, this is what I want to do. Well, in that particular situation, my mother, who is very, um, very good at making sure that she did not get in our way of being creative, she would say things like, oh, that sounds really wonderful. Why are you interested in, t in, in that? And then she would allow me to talk about it. And then she would ask questions like, what do you think, what do you think you'll have to do to become one of those things? Whatever it is. And then I could talk about, oh, it'll probably take some schooling. It'll probably take this. And then she'd ask other things like, oh, um, have you ever thought about this? Oh, no. And, and then she'd say, what do you think your life would be like if you were one of these people? Oh, yeah. Where do you think you would be living? What kind of house do you think you would have? I mean, all these sorts of things. So my mind was just moving forward and thinking and thinking and thinking, always forward. And I was trying to picture myself there. If we get our young people to do that and really put themselves out there and not think of somebody else, then we create these individuals who are always looking forward into the future and thinking about all the various wonderful opportunities that are out there for them. And this gives them the opportunity to frame and understand what they're passionate about. Always connecting to your future self gives you the ability to, under, to, to, under, to just get out there and fly around and figure out what your passion is. I jumped from occupation to occupation, from I wanted to do this, I wanted to do that, I wanted to be a, from a fireman to a doctor, then I wanted to be an eye doctor, and then I wanted to be a, a surgeon, then I wanted to be a business person. It just went all over the place. And uh, never did I get any sort of pushback from my mother saying, you know what, I don't think that that's a necessarily good idea or stop dreaming or whatever. She just let my little mind run wild. And that was super beneficial. And it's, it is really beneficial for our children. So we get them out of this idea that, um, that there's limits to their future. Um, we know that there are limits to the future, but they don't need to know that right now in this particular point in their lives. Um, to be able to get out there and open their minds and just let them run wild and let them figure out what their passions are and what they're excited about, that's what we're talking about. That's what we need to figure out. Now, I always like to do this. Let's, let's try to look at this now for ourselves. This gives us a good opportunity. Uh, life's not over for us. This gives us a great opportunity to do the same thing. Um, try to picture yourself in the future. 
two years from now, three years from now, what do you want to be doing? Are there things in your life right now that are bogging you down? Are you unhappy in your job? Are you unhappy in your relationships? Are you unhappy with what you're working on, how you're improving? Have you fallen into a rut? Try to picture yourself doing something differently and really make it specific. Pick something that's really bothering you and picture what it would be like to not have that. Taste it. Really think and get into it, right? And this type of practice of pitching yourself in the future will help you start learning and reframing questions to ask the youth, your children and and kids around you, better questions to help their little minds run and think about their futures as well. So, okay. Um, The next topic then... MIMA is is showing support. Um, It's so wonderful for these young people to realize that they have a support system. So when you ask these questions and you get their minds out there and they seem excited and they're going, they'll always come to this point where the conversation will start to lull, right? Where you've kind of explored it or their minds are going and they're just in this quiet uh, reflection and they're trying to figure things out. Somewhere along that line, the conversation will Lol, you always want to take the opportunity to say, you know what, that is so cool. I would love to help you with that. How can I help you accomplish that? Is there anything you can think of that I could do to help you do that? This puts their minds in a place where they know that you are a support for them. They know that they can trust you. They know that you care about them, that you care about their dreams, that you support them in their dreams, and that you're there to offer whatever help you can And let them define what that is. Let them think about where they would need help. This gives them the opportunity to realize that in every pursuit in life, we are going to need help. And that's okay. We cannot do everything ourselves. So let's make sure that when we are pursuing our dreams, that we have a support system of people who love and support us and and support our dreams and are encouraging and working, helping us get towards to where we need to go. Let's help them start to identify who those people are by offering our own support. That's a very important part of creating people that are part of a society, part of thinking, okay, this is what I want to accomplish. Where can I start leveraging people that I love to help me get this done? And then by the same token, we create people who then will reach out to others and say, hey, how can I help you with that? Because the service mindset that we continue to talk about, this service mindset is really down the, down the road. This will be the mindset that will help them find problems that need solving for other. These become the revenue opportunities for these young minds. When you start solving problems and thinking about how you can help other people, and that becomes part of who you are, who, who your, your identity is, then you will start seeing problems where you can make the world a better place if you solve that problem. And those become opportunities for revenue and for really cool businesses. Okay, so that's a whole nother thing. We, we're framing, making sure that they understand that they have a support system in us and we're triggering in them the importance of making sure that they also reach out and are in a place to help other people to develop that sort of service mindset and help them become these, these problem solvers down the road because they're interested in supporting other people because you've been so interested in supporting them along the line. So some vicarious learning there that they don't necessarily need to know is going on, but it will begin to build within them the foundation of doing all they need to do to become really wonderful problem solvers, caring problem solvers down the road and doing things that they are then passionate in 
to prepare themselves for that. Okay, so that's the next little phase here. Actually, we're doing really well on time, so I'm not going to worry about this at all. Um, looking down at my notes again. Um, okay, failures. All right, uh, creating a uh, creating a environment where where failure is okay is such an important part of it. And we've talked a lot about making sure that we use our praise and encouragement for effort, not necessarily for getting something done. And so that will help with this idea of that failure is really not part of the process, that failure is part of the process, but failure is nothing to be embarrassed about. What can we do to sort of help this along? One of the coolest things about I don't know, if you think about the people that you love most in your life, the people that you feel the most comfortable with, you'll probably recognize in them this ability to laugh at themselves. We as human beings enjoy people that embrace that they're human. Um, We all know that everybody makes mistakes and we talk about it a whole lot. But if when you look at social media feeds and you look at everything around you, not a lot of people like to talk about their mistakes. It's always very interesting as well that when we look at society and when somebody does make a mistake, the ones that sit there and deny that they ever did anything wrong, those are the ones that we seem to get most upset with, right? If they're like, I never did it, I never did it, I never did it, and then we find out 10 years down the road they did it. Think of a Lance Armstrong or something like that. All of us wanted Lance Armstrong to not be this big steroid head guy that cheated to win all those wonderful things. We wanted the story of him overcoming cancer and becoming a Tour de France winner multiple times. We wanted that to be true. We wanted to cheer for him. And when we found out that he was a steroid head, that he did do things that were improper and he was systematically trying to fool and cheat and do all that because, you know, everybody else is doing it, whatever, that was very upsetting to us. And it was very damaging to him and his reputation. Um, He has done some pretty amazing things since then to develop himself into a very... He obviously has learned how to be a successful person and overcome trials and tribulations with what he's now doing in his life. And we will talk about that. But he is a wonderful example of overcoming... um, overcoming huge mistakes and not letting them keep not letting them keep him down i will i will definitely give him credit for that but the individuals that we seem to love and embrace as soon as somebody makes a mistake if they come right out and say you know what i screwed up and i'm sorry those stories seem to go away quite quickly because we as human beings understand we all make mistakes mistakes are part of life and so we are pretty apt to forgive somebody if they just kind of like you know what i blew it because all of us look around and say yeah you know what i've blown it too and that's one, one of the most amazing and, and, and coolest stories in the Bible I, that I love so much is when, um, is when Christ is with the Pharisees and he's hanging out and they bring this woman to him who's been caught in adultery. And um, they're accusing her and saying, what do you do? And, and, and the, you know, the law is pretty clear on what you're supposed to do, you're supposed to stone, stone this poor woman to death. And they ask Christ, what do you think you should do? And Christ turns it back on them and says, look, any of you who have never sinned, you know, toss the first stone and they all kind of go away embarrassed. We know that we all make mistakes. We understand it. We get it as human beings. Why we are so ashamed of the fact that we make mistakes, that becomes interesting. But the most likable people out there are the ones that can laugh at themselves and the ones that really don't let the mistakes of others get them down or bother them. 
We just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's part of life and we move on. Those are the people that we love to hang out with. Those are the people that are the healthiest. Those are the people that are the happiest. Those are the types of people we want our children to grow up and become. Okay, so how do we do that? Folks, we got to start laughing at ourselves. Any mistakes we do, we just got to laugh it off. There's a lot of different reasons to do that. I talked a little bit about that, this whole hierarchy of needs uh, yesterday, but if we can keep ourselves out of this place where we are in fear or flight or we feel our safety is in jeopardy, and sometimes when we make mistakes, we get down on ourselves and that drops us down so we are now essentially attacking one of our basic needs, that keeps us up from the higher uh, f- from the ability to move up to where we can be creative and feel safe and, and, um, and do wonderful things for the world and, and just feel peaceful and calm. So we've got to stay out of that area where we're beating ourselves up. It's not worth it. We all make mistakes. Let's get over it. So how do we do this? One is to make sure that our children, when we make mistakes, to let them see us laugh about it. Let them see us say, you know what? That happens in life. Use it as an object lesson, whatever it is, whether you run, I, I, I accidentally ran a red light on the way to work today. I felt stupid. There was a poor guy waiting there. I was thinking about something else completely. Fortunately, I drive to work at 6 a.m. and there's nobody on the road. This, this person who was over waiting to go saw me kind of coming and waited for me and I went through and it's like, oh, I waved at him. I felt really bad, but I, and I felt bad for, you know, that I could have caused an accident, but it's kind of like, well, there you go. Early morning, Aaron's brain hasn't kicked in. That's okay. That's life. You know, chances are I won't do that tomorrow, but definitely didn't beat myself up and freak out over it or anything like that. And I don't think any of us should. We're just humans. But that's what, if my child had been there, I would have done the same thing. Uh, Depending on the child, um, my, well, my oldest and my youngest would have freaked out. And my middle child would have been like, awesome, dad. Cool. You know, you know, you blew through a light. Big deal. Um, he's always been very good about that. Um, but that is an opportunity for us to kind of go, oh, geez, wow. I definitely didn't want to do that. That was a huge mistake. It's really unsafe. All of that. And just admit it. Come right into it. Another cool thing that I think kids really enjoy, I know they really enjoy, and I really enjoyed it, is to hear the funny stories where you absolutely just screwed up in your life. And share those with your kids. Share the stuff that happens daily where you mess up. Um, those are my favorite. Those are the stories that the kids love to hear the most. Um, when I come home and share with them some of the boneheaded stuff I do every day, that gets the biggest reaction out of it. We have a good laugh. We laugh about it. But it's created a, it's created an environment in our home where it's okay to make a mistake, where it does not affect our value. Okay, and that's the next. That's the whole part of this is that if we can get our children to a point where they're okay with failure and actually showing them that this failure or how I fell apart actually improved this idea, this mistake created something that was even better or because this happened to me, my life went this direction and it worked out even better for me. If they can start seeing failure as a pathway to really something that's better, it's almost like a course correction as something that's positive rather than negative then we get them there. And the problem is, folks, that nowadays and in, in this day and time, if you look on social media, it's a freaking human highlight film. Everybody is sticking up all the stuff that's wonderful and great. I'm telling you right now, if somebody started sticking up on their Facebook page and were really real about everything that's going on and where they screw up and all the, if they just put up their screw ups and they left all the happy stuff off, that sucker would go viral because we as human beings get that. 
that we know is real. I do not know. I, I know that there's a lot of us researching and trying to figure out why so many people are so focused on social media because it's, it's causing a real problem in, our, in this younger generation where they're very depressed because they don't see their lives as adding up to the lives that they're seeing on social media. That's a problem. We're trying to figure out what's causing that. And I think we're starting to get there, but we're, you know, we're, we're realizing that, that this is causing anxiety. Like this generation has more anxiety than any previous generation. And we're starting to see the cause and effect of these social media avenues. But how do we address them? How do we make them more healthy? This is one of the ways, folks. Make sure that our children understand that failure is a part of life and that this stuff that's going on in social media is a total joke. And I absolutely do not pass an opportunity to trash social media with my children. And what a joke it is. Because it is. Um, It's a great way to promote things and get things out there and stuff. But as far as what reality is, social media is a complete joke. It is, it is a running, I think it's hysterical how people talk about fake news because that's all social media is, is complete fake news. One fake little story after another. I saw a, uh, I saw a very, actually a super funny and I wish I would have saved it. So they had this picture of this, this kid and he had like a, he had like a drink and a little umbrella in it and he was laying on the beach and he was obviously tan, he had his sunglasses on and he was kind of sitting there and obviously taking a selfie and it was like, wow, this kid is like Tahiti, someplace, some five-star hotel, whatever. And then they dropped the camera back and took another, peach, another picture. And he was literally in the middle of a construction site with garbage all around him. And all, they've just cleaned this little section of sand that was there to actually be used in you know, making concrete. And he was just laying there. And so they posed and made this little picture to kind of illustrate that social media is fake. But most of it on there is just not real. Right. So we see this a lot in, you know, people standing next to Lamborghinis that they happen to see on the street and pretending that it's theirs and the whole thing. It's just a great big uh, it's, it's a farce. It's fake. And we need our kids to understand that, that mistakes and failure is not failure. It's just the process of life. And it's just a part of being human. And it's a cool part of being a human. Some of the some of the most fun and craziest and um Wonderful things have come after, after the failure. And that's what our children need to understand. Um, one of the, a really cool experience that I had that kind of drove this home. Over the weekend, my, my daughter wants to make the, the golf team. So that's her big audacious goal. And now we're trying to figure out ways to get there. And I talked a little bit about how I encouraged her. But, but one of the problems that we have is failure will push us into this you know, when we talk about this hierarchy of needs, will push us into a place where we start to feel threatened or embarrassed. And and then that prevents us from being creative and feeling peace and calm. So we have to stay out of these places. Well, the way to do that is to separate, um, to separate whatever we consider and frame as success as the only time to really celebrate anything. Because if that's all we're worried about, then we are not in a place where we can actually learn anything. So my daughter was there and she was warming up on the practice range to hit some golf balls. We were going to video her swing and work on some stuff to help her technique work on that sort of stuff. I saw an old friend that I hadn't seen in a while. So I was talking with him, kind of helped him with his golf swing a little bit and kind of watched her start of warming up. And I could see in her that she was very disappointed in her, in, in how she was hitting the golf ball. She was very disappointed in her performance. 
And, and this is all tied. Her entire mood was tied to where the golf ball was going. Well, that doesn't make any sense because um, we're on the practice range. It really doesn't matter where the ball goes. And yet she was worried about people thinking she was bad. She was a, 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 a feeling embarrassed. She was feeling self-conscious. All of these places that put her, into, and put her into a state of mind where she can't learn anything. And we know that. We cannot learn when we're in that place. We've got to be in a place where our mind is open and ready to receive, to explore and learn. So I went over to her and we started talking and I had her hit a few more and she hit some some shots that she considered quite poor. And I asked her, you know, what she was feeling and what she was experiencing. And really, she couldn't really feel or experience anything because she was so disappointed in her performance and what was going on. So we took some time to talk about, and I said, look, honey, I don't care where the ball goes. The ball is inconsequential. I don't care. Yeah, eventually we want the ball to kind of start doing some stuff. But until we figure this part of your swing out, the ball's not going to be able to go anywhere because we're not giving it the proper instructions. So until we figure this part out, we can't expect the ball to know what to do because we haven't figured this part out. So that part doesn't matter. And as soon as I got her to a point where the ball was literally just, hitting the ball was literally just the end process of what we were learning, then I kept her in a, uh, then we were able to put her into a state of mind where and, and, and to be perfectly honest, she was, as she was taking the club back, she kind of was raising her head up, which makes it harder to hit the ball, right? It just adds some variability there, and it's harder to get the club back to the ball. When you raise up, it makes the ball kind of a moving target. So I was asking her, hey, you know, this is going on. What do you feel like is going on? And she had no idea. Well, as soon as I got her to a place where she didn't care where the ball went, she came back, and I said, what do you think is going on? And she said, I feel like my head's going up. Oh, now we're on to something. Now she discovered what was going on. She discovered what was different, what she didn't feel like was necessarily the right thing. And we did some, some exercises where she was doing the proper move and then she was able to compare the two. But she finally got, when she divorced herself from performance, she finally got into a place where she could understand what was really going on and experience learning. So we need to keep our kids there. We need to make sure that they are so divorced from their performance and outcomes that they can enjoy learning. Um, because if they get into that place, we got something, right? We're cooking with oil, as grandpa used to say. Um, all right. Um, okay, and then this is the final part. So we're doing, ah, no, we're in this thing 26. Let's see if I can finish it up in under 30. Okay, the last part of, of part four. Uh, and I kind of touched on it earlier on in the show. So when our children come to us with, okay, I, my daughter is, she is uh, just the cutest thing, but she is so interested in vocabulary and words and stuff that she hears new words all the time. And I love the fact that rather than just taking her smartphone and looking up a definition, she will come to us and say, hey, what does this mean? All right. No, this is such a wonderful opportunity to help them explore and get stuff for themselves. I will always turn it around and say back to her. Well, not always. Sometimes I get, uh, sometimes I'm horrible, right? Sometimes I make huge mistakes and I don't do it perfectly. But if in a perfect world, if I was a perfect parent, I would always do this. And I do try to do this. I don't always do it perfectly. I would turn it around and I would ask her, oh, where did you hear that word? How did you hear it used? And then have her repeat back to me where she heard the word and then ask her, what do you think that means? Now she's given some context where she heard it 
And, and obviously she's a smart girl. All of our kids are smart. She can give us her opinion on what that word means. And then we can talk about the meaning, right? And help her de- develop these. So it, she internalizes the meaning of the word. She's tried to identify it. And maybe she hasn't done absolutely the best job. But then if I come now and give her some very distinct um, adjustments to that word, now we're moving into this idea of deep practice. She will develop a neural pathway for that word. It will be then wrapped in myelin. She will have that word forever. She will expand her vocabulary exponentially because those words become part of her because we had her little mind work on that word in so many different directions. And expanding vocabularies are wonderful because, as we discussed earlier, we will get to a point in their lives when we're asking them to picture their future selves. We are asking them to solve problems you know, for other people, how do you think you would handle that problem? Why do you think they're having a problem? And have them discuss that. We will offer them um, support and say, hey, I am here to help you do whatever you want to do to make that happen. And hopefully getting within them, developing within the, the same ability where they will um, offer their services to other people and become problem solvers. In the midst of all of that, they are going to de- de- be developing their own versions of concepts that work for them. And then they can use their vocabulary to create their own terminology for what they do in their own lives. And that becomes so wonderful. Not only will they sell more books down the road, but they will be able to develop something that is truly and uniquely their own. And then when they share their their concepts and what they've learned in their life lessons uh, to others, and they start using all of that their expertise and who they are at looking at other people's problems. They will have unique perspective that will provide unique problem solving and maybe even change the world. So that is part four on our series of Raising an Entrepreneur. If you've enjoyed it, please let me know. Please share it with others. And tomorrow we will jump into part five of Raising an Entrepreneur. Until then, thanks for joining me. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. If there's anything you heard today that you enjoyed, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or subscribe to this podcast so you can be alerted when the next episode is available. Until then, here's to all the entrepreneurs out there. Let's go get it done.